So welcome everyone to episode five of the Paramedic Podcast. I'm your host, Marissa Rose, and thank you for joining me. Wow, we're five episodes in and almost 2,000 listens. Thank you to everyone who tunes in each week and reaches out to have a chat. We're spreading the paramedic love and creating a safe place to speak about the hard stuff, and I'm all about it. As you know, for the past few episodes, we've dived into some paramedic stories where I've spoken to some pretty incredible and inspirational people about their journeys both inside and outside of ambulance. And it has been such a privilege to share these stories with you. As they have been so popular, I've kept on with the trend and welcome a man whose story is no exception. Today, we sit with Reese Greedy, an advanced care paramedic working in Brisbane, practicing for, I think it's five years now? Five years, yeah. yeah. Um, now, I want you guys just to sit back and imagine yourself at 20, young, robust, limitless, the world is at your feet and your biggest worry is how you'll afford the cab ride home. Although uh, these were the days without Uber. <laughs> After a big night out, um, you've just signed up for the army and you're preparing yourself physically, emotionally and mentally for an overseas deployment to honourably serve your country. You begin to experience an onset of less than insidious symptoms, including a dry wheezy cough, ongoing fatigue, night sweats and general chest infection sy symptoms. You present to army medics, who say, you'll be right, mate, and send you on. You return home for Christmas and your family note, notice notable weight loss and a feeling you just aren't yourself. So you present to your GP to follow up. Within an hour, you receive a phone call and a diagnosis that would change your life forever. Your, cho your only choice is to fight, to beat it, and then go on and dedicate your life to helping others achieve the same. This is Reese's story a story of strength, resilience, hope and inspiration. A story that shows that even in the face of adversity, in a shock diagnosis as a young man, that you can conquer, overcome and make a mark on the world. What a man, what a story. And it's a pleasure to have you on, Reese. <laughs> if you want to introduce yourself to our listeners. Yeah, good morning. Thank you for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, so my name is Reese. I'm 33. Um, as Marissa's touched on, I've been an advanced care paramedic working at a Chermside station in North Brisbane for five years now. Um, actually, my second career, I also spent five years in the army as a rifleman in infantry corps, which I served between 2007 and 2012. Um, obviously, what we're going to talk about shortly is during that period of my time served, there was a bit of a, a medical hiccup with my own my own health, um, which required some pretty significant intervention, um, but it also, I guess, outside of work in recent years, created a bit of a special journey with, um, you know, reaching out to others who have been through the same thing and, um, you know, becoming an ambassador for a couple of organisations and, you know, I guess really trying to leave a mark and inspire people along the way. I think you've definitely done that. So, can you tell our listeners about your diagnosis and I guess a little bit about your journey with that? Yeah, so I joined the army in October 2007. Um, I was only about 18 months out of school, so I'd, uh, I think I was about six months prior. I'd only turned 19, so very much a baby. Baby, um, baby. Threw myself into the, into the deep end, you know, going from the, the transition of civilian to soldier. Um, I think back then I was, you know, preemptively 
choosing this career. I had emergency services in mind for a long-term career, but mm-hmm. just wanted to, yeah, I guess just throw myself into a into a career that would probably prepare me well for what was to come, um, you know, now as a paramedic. Um, so I was only about 12 months into the job. So once I'd finished my basic training, um, all the infantry guys were sent up to Townsville, to one of the battalions up there. And that's where we were posted. So they, again, they were preemptively um, preparing all the combat roles to deploy to Afghanistan in 2009. So 1RAR, which is the battalion I was stationed to, they deployed in that year. So quite a junior, I mean, all of the infantry guys, we were quite junior in our role and we were kind of thrust straight into, you know, the serious business of preparing to go into a war zone. Um Amongst all that training at the back end of 2008, um, yeah, just began to experience initially what I thought were benign symptoms. Mm. Um, you know, just a wheezy respiratory type cough, some general fatigue. Um, you know, I kind of put it down to just the fact that we had long working days. We were, you know, we were training quite hard physically week to week. Um, I did present to the um, the army medics I think in the end, it was probably about a half a dozen times over a few months, mm. just as things were starting to change and I guess worsen a little bit with my symptoms. Um, being in infantry, you know, 99% male, alpha male atmosphere, it was very much, you know, harden up and get back to work. That's just the, the mentality of the role. So I tried to push through it. Um, but at the end of that year, I had to, you know, put restrictions on myself that I couldn't do any PT, any, um, you know, really physical work because I just, I, I wasn't capable. I, I was just, you know, basically a zombie day to day. Um, that must have been pretty confusing. And it, it was, yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, try, and I, I don't, you know, there's no blame from my end. I was obviously only going to, you know, medics. I wasn't going to, you know, qualified, you know, hospital or doctor mm-hmm. personnel. Um, so they were within their own scope trying to work out what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um I was put on a couple of courses of antibiotics. They maybe mentioned that it was uh, adult asthma or bronchitis that had maybe set in. Um, so between 2008 and 2009, I came home for a couple of months of leave. Mm. Um, things were, again, continuing to worse. It kind of trended into um, quite nasty sort of fevers and night sweats. And I noticed once the new year had ticked over in 2009 that I had started to lose some weight, which was obviously concerning. So my own mindset, again, the job that I was in at the time, I was just adamant on, you know, pushing through and just hoping that it would fix itself. But it was actually my mother who convinced me that um would go see our GP. Um, so my family are based up on the Sunshine Coast in Caloundra. So um, the exact date was January 16th, 2009. So it was late that morning. Uh, I went to my GP. He had sent me off for um, some blood tests and also a chest X-ray for that day, and just said, "Look, I'll I'll be in touch in a couple of days once they send the report through, and we can go from there." Um, within probably three hours, he personally called me and said, "Look, you and your mum need to to come back. I've got the um, the X-ray results, and they've sent them through to me." you know, the matter of urgency. So mum and I jumped in the car and we sat down in his um in his office and he, he put the 
the imaging up on the um, on the light board and yeah, my chest X-ray it just looked like there was a there was a snowstorm throughout you know behind my mediastinum and uh, what I initially thought was across my lungs, but it was all just sort of interstitial space. Um, so this is our GP of probably at the time ten years, um, and he was a very you know open and honest man. He said, "Look, I'm eighty percent sure it just based on that that you have Hodgkin lymphoma." Um, and what is that for our listeners who aren't paramedic minded? Yeah, so basically it's a a cancer of your lymphatic system. Um, so you've got both your Hodgkin and non-Hodgkin lymphomas, which non-Hodgkin a little bit more aggressive, um, more specific to uh, your lymphocytes and white white blood cells. Um, whereas Hodgkin lymphoma is basically isolated to your lymphatic system, but dangerous in the fact that it can quite easily spread and metastasize to other areas of your mm. of your body. So from there, things had to happen quite quickly because they had estimated that it had been in my system for maybe five or six months. Um, so this was sort of around the week that I was due to fly back to work. So I got in touch with um, one of the staff members up in Townsville at the battalion. And at the time, they actually thought I was going AWOL, that I just made up this really sexy story to mm. avoid going back to work which at the time I found was quite insulting because yeah, I was totally. 24 hours from being taken to one of the private hospitals in um, in Brisbane um, to be cut open. I've got quite an impressive scar across my chest where they had to do um, a biopsy to confirm that it was in fact lymphoma. So once that was done, the report was sent up um, and within hours, the padre or the army um, chaplain called me and they done a complete 180 it was all oh, like whatever whatever you need we're yeah. we're here for yeah. you um so then we kind of went into february that year um terrible timing i was kind of approaching you know i'd made some plans for my 21st birthday which that was all kind of thrown out the door because i actually started chemo um a couple of weeks before i turned 21 so by mm-hmm. the time my birthday had come around my hair had fallen out i'd again yes. the, the weight loss had continued and you know yeah life had pretty much been turned upside down Mm. so yeah um so from there it was um a number of months of chemo they then let my body have a bit of reprieve and then we started quite aggressive um radiation which was kind of isolated to my you know from my my chin down to sort of my epigastric abdo region um so my diagnosis was stage 2b so quite a significant mass like I said, behind my mediastinum, but it also spread to the lymph nodes in my neck, which in hindsight made sense because they were almost the size of golf balls at one point. They were so inflamed wow. due to the due to the cancer. So um yeah, quite quite aggressive treatment. Um and I think by the end of the the final round of chemo, um, I dropped about nineteen kilos. So um, look, I sit here now, I'm about 85 kilos, I was 64 kilos by the mm. time I'd finished my, my and chemo. you're a bit over so. six foot, aren't you? So you Just over, been... yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. I've, I was very much looking the part of, yeah. a, of a chemo patient. Mm. Um, yeah, so it was, you know, at the time, I mean, my focus was obviously the disappointment that I wasn't going to deploy overseas. So, you know, a lot of friends of mine... Um, who I was working with up in Townsville obviously deployed to Afghanistan that year. And, you know, it was a big sense of disappointment that I, you know, felt like I'd been left behind. And I mean, obviously I had a battle to face myself, but yeah, um, yeah just 
the mindset at the time, you know, young, ready to take on the world, you know, loving the job that I was in. I was only new, but had been given an opportunity to, you know, serve my country. So, you know, even I've, I've been out of the army now for, you know, almost 10 years, but even now I still look back and yeah, I've upset at the fact that I didn't get a chance to, you know, go overseas. And that was, you know, any combat role in the army, that's what you live and breathe each day with your training and, yeah. you know, what you sign up for. I know that sounds crazy to people. Why the hell would you want to go overseas and spend six to nine months in the desert getting shot at? But that's just the, you know, the mindset of a soldier, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. That was your goal. Yeah. And you had yeah. it taken away prematurely. Yeah. But in saying that, you know, I've got my health. I can't complain about that. Definitely. Um, and yeah, the, the diagnosis for me, as cliche as it sounds, very much a blessing that I have been given huge opportunity, particularly since 2014 up until now, mm-hmm. um, you know, both in and out of work with people I've met and opportunities and, you know, fundraising and awareness campaigns. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. So, so a few questions here that we went over earlier, like yes. what a, what an incredible story. And so you when you were diagnosed like what what were the immediate feelings that ran through your head what did you confusion probably first because yeah. i'd never heard of hodgkin lymphoma mm. so my mum who was sitting next to me um and i think i've mentioned this to you so she's she's battled and beaten breast cancer twice mm. and she's an incredible woman and she was just my rock for 2009 she dropped everything to you know look after me um yeah she got up and walked out and was just distraught um, meanwhile, I was sitting there Googling lymphoma on my phone, trying to, um, you know, very much a shock being told that, yeah, you know, you've got cancer, you know, like in our line of work, you know, we, we can attend people, whether they're currently going through something and they've had, you know, an onset of symptoms or a fever, um, you know, going through the chemo or radiation and had some nasty side effects. And, you know, in that setting, it's like, I was, you know, this is my patient. This is this is a story. Let's get them to the hospital. But mm. yeah, being told yourself that you know this is what's currently going on in your body, um, and don't get me wrong, like I I was never given a you know a percentage figure of if life was going to continue or not. Um, I was lucky in the fact that I was you know I was young, fit. Um, my body did once I sort of got over that initial weight loss with the chemo, I did you know bounce back quite quickly i was lucky that i was in the army at the back end of the treatment and they put me into one of the barracks hospitals here in um in brisbane where i spent six months um and the staff there was just basically eating and training five days a week and i kind of bounced back quite quickly from that so mm. you know those sort of things did play in my favor um but in hindsight now i probably you know i guess underestimated the potential that things could have you know, gotten much worse because especially with my um, my couple of years with Lymphoma Australia, which I was an ambassador for in 2014 and 2015, um, yeah, it was one person in particular that I met um, who'd already lost her sister to lymphoma and she unfortunately passed away after a long battle um, in February 2017 and they were both initially diagnosed with stage 2b which was identical to mine Mm. and just unfortunately didn't respond to the treatment so that was a bit of a you know a bit of a wake-up call that you know certainly don't take things for for granted Mm, massive lesson and with 
the the toughest toughest part of your journey what what do you think was that do you think it was the diagnosis the treatment or we were talking about challenges to your masculinity and stuff like that yeah i think again being you know at that stage that i was in my life and you know things just going from 100 to zero you know like i said i should have been potentially on a plane going overseas with the army but instead i was sitting in a recliner chair at a clinic up in maroochydore being hooked up to iv chemo for five hours every tuesday on the fortnight um i think by the end my yeah i think my mental health was knocked around a little bit um and at the time you know god forbid i'd ever admit that um i ended up you know sort of cutting off people wanting to come and sit with me during the um during the chemo sessions you know my mum obviously wanted to be there every waking hour with me and my partner at the time she obviously wanted to be supportive and you know come and sit with me and um yeah by the end i'd yeah just isolated myself and i don't know i think it was just out of fear of portraying vulnerability maybe vulnerability is a very scary thing yeah to, to it show is people. for a young male mm. um and again that's something that i've been really big on of i've been very lucky that um both in person and you know via phone calls and social media i've been able to reach out to quite a few guys in their late teens and early 20s who have been diagnosed with hodgkin lymphoma mm-hmm. um and i think yeah really important to just bloke to bloke sit down and have a chat um yeah. you know like one of the guys it was over a you know, a coffee and end up being a beer once he was deemed in remission. Him and his mum actually flew up to the Sunshine Coast um, and I got to sit down and have dinner with them. And he was only 18 wow. and he was diagnosed when he was 16 and a half. Wow. So, yeah, it's certainly a, um, a cancer that doesn't discriminate with age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's been a great opportunity. And I think probably in a way, a, you know, a bit of a healing process for me, acknowledging, you know, it probably took... A little longer than it should have but yeah I, I think i was i was psychologically rattled more than what i was you know portraying mm, to definitely. friends and family um and just yeah giving that message to the young guys and not just you know not just young male specific yeah any you know sort of lymphoma or other cancer patient whether it be in the back of the ambulance i've had some great great discussions with patients um you know who have previously battled or currently going through something in the trip to hospital it's you know been nice honest conversation they feel like they can open up because you know i've kind of been there with the severity of the treatment and Mm -hmm. what your body's gone through so you you definitely build a you know a very special bond i mean my mum and i i mean we've always been close i've always been a mama's boy but (laughs) you know since 2009 yeah i mean our relationship's just through the roof now she's an amazing woman and like i said she was there every every day nursing me at home while i was you know experiencing the, the chemo hangover and going through you know the rigors of the treatment so. what did that feel like chemo and radiation like how would you describe that um so for me the um the iv chemo and um i mean going back to sort of like our, our qas policies so we've, we've actually um got in our clinical guidelines regarding bleomycin therapy so it's an iv chemotherapy drug that can result in quite significant toxicity um, to your lungs it's essentially like a pulmonary fibrosis so basically our guidelines will say that unless um, you need to be resuscitated you actually indefinitely aren't supposed to have high flow o2 because it can be quite catastrophic to your 
to your airways and mm-hmm. your and your lungs. So um, now that I'm you know I'm 12 years in remission now. I haven't put myself into a situation where I've gone scuba diving or anything like that, but mm. I think I've sort of gone beyond that point where, you know, recent chest x-rays and things haven't shown any sort of residual. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's certainly a drug that, yeah, at the time really knocks you around. Mm. Um, and, you know, obviously chemo's purpose is to just destroy your immunity and the cells in your body because they're obviously targeting the, the cancerous mm. cells. So, yeah, you completely wiped off the floor. I was doing... Um, like five hour sessions every second Tuesday. So the week following, it was just like I'd had a you know three day bender and just felt just beyond hungover. It was it was horrible, just lethargic. I was barely eating. I think my at the time my choice of food was um like these peaking duck spring rolls. That's all I could stomach. So poor old mum, the place that sold them was like half an hour away. So mum was always running errands to go and get me these spring rolls. Mm. Otherwise, I was just refusing to eat. Um, and then the week leading up to getting hooked up again, you sort of got some normality back to how you felt, but then you, you're back in the chair. So yeah, a pretty pretty horrible cycle. Mm. Um, and the radiation, like I said, for me, because it was specific to you know, around my, my throat and my chest, um, when they lay you down on the table and you go through the process, it's like they're like your your insides are being sunburnt, really. Um, so again, the eating and drinking was horrible because my esophagus just felt like it was absolutely scorched. Mm. Um, and those sessions were much more, you know, they were from memory, you know, three times, four times a week for quite a few weeks. Gosh. Yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was pretty intense. Um, and then I had a couple of months of um, just letting the the body go through its process. Had a final PET scan, and October in two thousand and nine was deemed in remission. That's um, amazing. That must have been an incredible feeling. Oh, it was. Yeah. yeah. So, like I said, I'm very lucky. I mean, I started the the treatment. Um, yeah, second week of February, and then second week of October. So, pretty intense eight months but yeah came out the other side and thankfully no you know no residual symptoms or relapse or anything so that's incredible yeah so 12 years in in remission this year so when you were facing the toughest part of this whole journey when you were going through all that how did you overcome those challenges like mentally like how did you just um keep going look i think in a sense i was uh yeah, a little bit in denial. Again, it took, you know, all those years down the track when I got just randomly got in touch with Lymphoma Australia. I met some other patients, had heard some, you know, stories where, you know, unfortunately people hadn't come out the other side. Um, and that kind of made me in hindsight realise, oh, yeah, you know, you probably underappreciated how, you know, serious this could have mm. become. Um, and again, like I said, I'm you know, regarding the, you know, the psyche side of things where, you know, I think, yeah, refusing for, you know, people to see how, how vulnerable I was. I, yeah, I was a bit of a, I was a bit of a closed book, I think for a lot of 2009 with the, Mm. with the treatment. Um, and that's why, yeah, in recent years, it's just been, you know, doing the complete opposite and opening up and, you know, being honest and talking about that I was vulnerable. It's been, yeah, you know, quite fulfilling to, you know, sit here and acknowledge and have the opportunity to, you know, talk about 
you know, that I actually was scared at the yeah. time. Um, but like I said, I mean, I'd, my oncologist and, you know, GP all, always very upfront and honest and, you know, they, they, they never gave the indication that it was a, at that point in time, a, a life and death matter. So I think I took that on board, like, oh, look, just get through your sessions of your- One foot in front of the yeah. other. Yeah. Next session of chemo, yeah. next day of radiation and hope for the best when you do your final scan. But mm. it all, it turned out that way that it was all positive, so- and through your journey, I brought this question up just before, did you sort of change or question your spirituality or think of things in a different way, like in a way that you didn't didn't before? Did it change your perception, I guess, of the world? Oh, I think, yeah, again, like I'll, I'll always touch on like 2014 was like the, the game changing mm. year for me. And I think since then, like I'm... I'm a big, big believer in, you know, karma and, you know, getting back what you sort of portray and give to, give to others. Um, and that's how I've, yeah, you know, outside of, I mean, that's basically the summary of our job, you know, doing things and not expecting thanks and, mm. you know, trying to have a positive impact on someone. Um, yeah. Carrying that on into, into the real world, I think, um, yeah, look, I, I probably always have been a, you know, I guess an insightful and and spiritual person. Um, you know, this, you know, this little hiccup in life probably brought that out a bit more. Yeah, it's um, sort of sent you on a on a very different journey. Yeah, where you've I think sort so. of undertaken some pretty pretty incredible things. So yeah. in 2014, you reached out to the what was the foundation called? Yeah, so Lymphoma Australia. Lymphoma so they're, Australia. They're based in Brisbane, so they're a non for profit organization they do operate on yeah a much smaller scale than other you know like cancer organizations um in saying that like lymphoma is um last that i'd read up on it is the fifth most diagnosed cancer in australia um and i actually can't work out sort of the precursor of why mm. someone's actually diagnosed like the symptoms are generally the same with that sort of fever lethargy night sweat cough sort of thing and then it just takes that further investigation to have it diagnosed um just a little fun fact so 2009 i was one of 286 males in australia that were diagnosed that year so um yeah sorry i've lost my train of thought with the that's right were a lot of the um patients who are diagnosed are they young or, or is it all across the board or is it more common in in younger people yeah the youngest that i um had met and spoken to was nine. Oh my goodness. Um and the eldest I think was in their mid sixties. So yeah, wow, a bit of a really broad broad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um and like I said, there's no it's not like a a lifestyle choice or an exposure to something. It's just just rears its head randomly. Wow. Yeah. So And when you so let's talk about all of the incredible things that you've done for that foundation because ah, yes, you have we raised yeah. how much money in total have you raised for these people and this foundation? So I think yeah, so the the fundraising journey did start with um, Lymphoma Australia. So mm -hmm. I was walking the Kokoda Trail um, in July in two thousand and nine. Oh, sorry, two thousand nine, two thousand fourteen, um, and that was my five years in remission, um, and that was just a you know, I said ex-army, ex it was just a bucket list trip. That one had no, you know, association with any foundation or anything. And 
Um, it must have been day, yeah, about day three, middle of the jungle. Um, you know, long, hard walking days. The group that I was with was all was all males. Um, and I was just chatting to one of the guys when we'd stop for a lunch break, and he'd overheard me talking to one of my mates on that on that hike um, about you know my my cancer and um, the fact that I was five years in remission. And he said, "Oh, you know, I've I've known a guy from the Sunshine Coast who." You know, similar story has sort of come out and, um, you know, told his own version of events and sort of started to reach out to people and has proven to be, you know, a bit of an, bit of an inspiration and, you know, game change for people that are currently going through the, the same thing. And I'd never even considered anything like that for the previous five years since I'd been deemed in remission. I think it was a bit of a matter of, you know, scrunch it up and throw it under the rug type thing and just get on with get on with life um so that was a bit of a light bulb moment mm. um so yeah i came back to australia and um i'd sort of already done some homework on a couple of trips overseas that i had wanted to lock in so one was in nepal at the end of 2014 and then another one was a a climb in the french alps for the middle of 2015 so i just sent this really long-winded email to the ceo of lymphoma australia and i can imagine she would have been sitting there going, "What the hell? What does this guy want?" No, um, she would have loved every second of it. But yeah, made the suggestion that, mm. um, look, this is my this is my story. I, I really, you know, it's a bit random, but I want to, I guess, try and you know do a bit of a fundraising campaign and you know a bit of an added twist that I'm going to, you know, go outside the norm of you know throwing myself into a couple of really big challenges, you know, not in Australia but around the world. Um, yeah, she was all all for it. So we ended up meeting, I think it was the following week. Um, and that's when she started putting me in touch with, um, yeah, current um, lymphoma patients. And this is where I met my friend Tara. So she was living on the Sunshine Coast at the time. It was quite a, yeah, it was quite a haunting day. Um, I walked into her place and it was just her and her dad. And we sat down in the living room and I knew I knew nothing about this family's history. Um, and when we sat down in the living room across from us was like an entertainment, like a buffet unit. And on top of it was, yeah, basically a memorial of photos and items. Um, and it turns out it was her, um, her older sister Jade, who had passed away about six months prior from stage two B lymphoma. Um, and just, I remember just sitting there next to the dad who, you know, trying to tell this story and, oh, just, it was, yeah, a big wake up call. Uh, like I said, you know, the, the previous five years, I'd just wanted to, you know, just get on with it. That was just that speed hump out of the way. Um, obviously got back into the army and, um, you know, had another opportunity to deploy, which unfortunately fell through because I was in remission and it hadn't been that long since I'd finished my treatment. So, um, you know, it was all kind of, you know, woe was me type stuff that, uh, um, yeah, this was the moment I was like, you know what, like I, I actually am in an opportunity to make or have the opportunity to, yeah, you know, not sell my story like I'm on a pedestal and I've overcome these, you know, amazing feats. You know, I, I, n- I never look at it like that, but just, you know, having walked through, you know, I think you give a lot of people hope. That, yeah, and that's what I've, you know, 
the the years following this sit down with mm. with Tara, who unfortunately did pass away herself three years later. She she battled lymphoma. I think they were initially diagnosed. Um, I think it was 2013. So yeah, she battled for just over four years wow. and went through all the treatment, the chemo, the radiation. She had a, I think it was two failed um, bone marrow transplants, and it got to the point where I was visiting her in palliative care, um, and even then, just an absolute legend, high spirits. She knew she was dying, um, and then her funeral oh, just ruined me, you know. And that's where I'd. She's the one person that, yeah, if I had to have a you know top of the list of who's inspired me, it's definitely Tara Deacon. She's just amazing. I've still you know got her mum on Facebook, and we you know randomly speak every now and then, and she'll still share memories of photos, and yeah, it's, it's just heartbreaking. Like she just hasn't hasn't moved. She's lost both of her daughters. Yeah, you know, it's just a horrible situation. Um, so yeah, a little bit of a a wake up call. You know, the, the initial prognosis was good, but that's it could have turned out that way. So, mm. um, yeah, that kick-started the, it was from 2014, basically, annual trips overseas. I was ticking off these amazing bucket list, you know, summit climbs, mountaineering trips, hikes. Um, but there was always a bigger picture behind it. So, um yeah, Lymphoma Australia was for a couple of years, so 14 and 15, a couple of amazing trips, raised, you know, a nice sum of money for them. They're heavily dependent on, you know, fundraising and donations. So mm -hmm. it was really awesome to be a part of Definitely. By be a part of that. Um 2016 I reached out to the pediatric ward at Nambour Hospital, um, which was inclusive of their oncology department. Um again, I just Drove there one day, walked in, spoke to the staff. They were all for the idea. I was going to go and climb Mount Kilimanjaro, and we ended up raising twenty-two grand for for them. It's which, incredible. That was special. Um, I mean, obviously, being a peds ward, you know, every man and his dog wanted to jump on board and and be a part of that. So, the Sunshine Coast community and businesses were amazing. Like they really made that that campaign. Um, and we actually had the opportunity. We'd sort of skyrocketed well above what we wanted to initially. I think the initial sum we wanted was like 10,000 and we well and truly doubled mm. that. So because money had come in so thick and fast, um, I actually went to um, Harvey Norman one day and bought a massive television, a couple of game consoles, got a whole bunch of iPads with Wi-Fi set up and just walked in one day and just, it was like Christmas had come early for the kids. That's awesome. And they were just thrilled. Yeah, so that was yeah. really awesome. Yeah. Um, so then, so yeah, 2016 with that campaign, that was my final year as a um, paramedic student studying up at the Sunshine Coast. So when I started um, as a graduate paramedic in 2017 at Chermside, um, got in touch with QAS Legacy. Um, again, yeah, the sort of, you know, the, the trend of, you know, past and present sort of cancer was the inspiration for me. So I'd found out that at the time they were supporting two families of paramedics that had passed away while they were in the service. And one of them had passed away from um, an aggressive brain tumor. So they were still supporting his family and, you know, education funds for his kids. So um, yeah, got in touch with um, the guys from Legacy and went back to Nepal at the end of 2017. Um, and that was the first of two fundraising trips in Nepal for 
um, for Legacy. So in total, we've raised about forty thousand dollars for them. That's amazing. Yeah, and again, they're they're so heavily dependent on, you know, donations and fundraiser events as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they run their you know their pedal for paramedics event every year. But this was, um, you know, a bit of a twist on that and. I was lucky enough that I led a team of 22 paramedics to Everest Base Camp in April 2019, um, which was, you know, quite daunting. I'd, all my previous trips, I'd only have to worry about myself. I was, mm. for the most part, just jumping on a plane on my own. Um, but this was, you know, a leadership role. This paramedic-founded company who um, had arranged this trip, they, um, yeah, put me in charge of the of the group and did some amazing fundraising in the lead up and yeah, all 23 of us successfully got to base camp. So that was a really, really special trip. Yeah, I bet. So unfortunately, um, that was supposed to be one of three trips for, for legacies. So I'd, I'd actually been contracted in for base camp for both 2019, 2020, and then I was supposed to take a, a group to Kilimanjaro this year, but COVID has unfortunately interrupted that. So yeah. hopefully once things yeah, you know, planes get off the ground again. We can get back overseas. I think that's going to happen next year. They're talking. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to be the, the first person to jump on a plane to go overseas, but it's still kind of in the background that, yeah, once things are taking off again, um, yeah, we can get back to focusing on some more um, yeah, legacy fundraising, another trip, hopefully. So, yeah, it's been a really special journey. Just like I said, every year, just trying to benefits me i get to tick off an amazing bucket list trip but you know it's not i'm not just doing it for my own satisfaction so i think doing something for something that's greater than yourself gives you a sense of accomplishment like oh, nothing absolutely. else absolutely and huge motivation yeah. huge Ma- motivation absolutely. yeah so. it's just a just makes you feel incredible yeah exactly yeah exactly right. um so i think i just want to reverse a little bit so Coming into paramedicine, so you started the year after I finished, so I actually never got to meet you at uni no, in the university capacity, no. but what happened there? Like, how did you, how did that come about, wanting to be a par- I guess it's quite self-explanatory, wanting to help people um, and, and be that sort of person for other people, but what, what triggered it in you and, and going to university as well, like ex-army boy, like heading oh, up into some tertiary education? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't do much theory work in my five years in infantry. Um, but yeah, touching on, you know, I guess the, to finish sort of the army part of the story. So that that career for me was probably cut short by a couple of years. So once I, um, when I got through my treatment, I was posted here to Brisbane. I did that six months of sort of strength and rehabilitation, got back into a uh, platoon, mm-hmm. infantry platoon. Um, and then I became a qualified uh, signalman, uh, which is obviously a very important role with overseas deployment so what's a signal just like basically like radio communications okay yep. yeah um so that was my role for all of 2011 so basically with your rotations of trips overseas all your battalions around the country they just sort of have turn for turn in terms of mm-hmm. who goes over next so because i'd gone from townsville down to brisbane they were sort of next in line uh in 2012 to deploy mm-hmm. um again to afghan so being the role that I was in, I mean, we were given the heads up from the get-go that, you know, you guys will be, you know, you're on the list. Um, so I had my final medical check, I think it was November, yeah, 2011, um, sat down with a subcontractor GP on on site at the barracks and 
he's kind of flicking through my paperwork and he's like, oh, you're not far in remission from a, a battle with cancer. And he said, mate, unfortunately, you know, it's going to be a six to nine month deployment. You know, they don't have the resources over there if, you know, symptoms were to arise again or something was to happen, you know, you're just too high risk. So the line was put through me again, which, you know, I describe it like, um, you know, like a footy player training, but never been able to play a game, mm. you know, huge frustration. So I'd sort of intended to be in the army for maybe seven or eight years and, you know, have a couple of trips under my belt, you know, a couple of medals on the chest, good pay packet, and then move on. Um, because I did have, yeah, emergency services in mind from school. Um, so when I discharged, I kind of took a year off, you know, 2012, 2013, just, I don't know, felt a bit, felt a bit lost just because things had, you know, kind of taken a downward turn with the mm-hmm. opportunities in the army. Um, did a bit of homework on uh, QFES, the fireys, um, but a couple of conversations with people back then, yeah, I think I just got spooked by the fact that it could be a long application process and then just kind of plateau and be waiting for a position, which, you know, back then there was no sort of time frames. It could take years. Um, so I figured, well, look, that could just be, you know, time spent twiddling my thumbs. Why don't I just do the paramedicine degree mm-hmm. and obviously influenced by, you know, where I'd come from with my own health battle. So yeah, as you've touched on, first semester was challenging, sitting down with textbooks and, um, but yeah, it's a very hands-on degree. I loved getting thrown in the deep end with, um, you know, doing your placements on road. And I did most of that up on the, up on the Sunshine Coast. Mm. Um, and then again, starting as a grad down in Brisbane, completely different environment to what I'd experienced as a, as a student. But I, you know, I take on those sort of challenges. You know, I love it. So um, yeah, five years later, still at Chermside, mm-hmm. still loving it. Um, but in the background now, again, yeah, an opportunity for me has arisen to, you know, transition to the fireys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got an application in there and with intent to remain casual with QIS, I'd love to do both. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, sort of long-term career for me with where I've come from and, you know, career opportunity. Yeah. I think QIF, QFES is, you know, screaming my name. So definitely. Well, that was your first sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Want and, yeah. Exactly. But don't get me wrong. I mean, I've had an amazing time in, in QIS and, mm. you know, I can't sit here and talk like I'm in the process of transitioning over. I could be in this job for another one or two years before mm. things happened with the fireys and, you know, well, as I'll, you said, remaining it, you know, casual no. is great because yeah. you get best of both worlds. Well, exactly. And you still get to get that taste and that adrenaline yeah. of, of what we do. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, get that, that kick that yeah. we kind of weirdly get addicted to. Yeah, oh, I know. We're all, we're all addicted to it. We're all addicted missing, to it. A, missing yeah. a screw, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So moving on with these questions here. Um, if you didn't have your diagnosis um, and you haven't sort of had to – overcome all the things you have and, and done all the things that you've done, do you think that you would see the world differently and you would have stayed in the army? Do you think you would have transitioned into paramedicine or? Uh, well, like I said, I think, yeah, the the few extra years in the army would have happened, mm-hmm. you know, could have deployed. Who knows what could have happened over there? You know, that, that, that may have been a blessing in disguise mm-hmm. itself. Um, I think, 
yeah, I think career-wise probably would have, you know, tread the same path. But like I've kind of touched on with the, um, you know, the people and organisations and fundraising and, you know, all that, you know, really fulfilling stuff outside of work. Yeah, that, that would that would be non-existent. Mm. Um, and it's, that's been such a big, that's been such a big part of my life. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's now seven years later that, um, yeah, it, you know, it's a bit of a feel-good situation where you know friends and family up on the coast and you know work and stuff they just acknowledge that you know you've done some pretty nice things for people. Yeah. So you know, and I don't like I said I don't say that like I'm you know I walk around like I'm on a pedestal, but um. I think everyone's proud to know you because of the incredible things you've done for sure. Yeah, and like it's 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 been, you know, I've tried to make it as selfless as possible. But yeah, like it, it, everyone likes to be acknowledged, I guess, for yeah. the things they've done. So, you know, if that's how I go out and be remembered, that, I'm happy with that. Definitely. You know, so. And Reese, what are you what are you most grateful for these days? Um. Oh, look, I've, like I've just spoken about, I think the opportunities I've, I've been given, you know, mm. I've, I've said it, that my, um, my diagnosis, it happened for a reason. It was a blessing. It's, it's given me more opportunity in, you know, seven years than I could probably achieve, you know, in half a lifetime. So, yeah, I'll, I'll forever be grateful. And I do want to continue, I said, once, you know, once things settle with COVID and we can start going overseas again, I can kind of, I've still got my typed out bucket list that I printed in like God knows when, 2013. I probably need to get it's getting a bit moldy that piece of paper. But <laughs> there's still a few trips on that that I want to that I want to tick off. And, you know, like I've said, I don't want to just go over and do it for me. It's more continuing the trend now. Legacy of, you know, it's been really um, you know, really awesome being a part of that organization, you know, as a current serving mm. paramedic. And I, you know, yeah, I still feel like there's a you know, another couple of chapters there to, you know, assist them. And, you know, until I actually kind of reached out to them, um, you know, there's certainly a bit of an untapped resource with how how much they really reach out and help QAS families, which mm. I think is awesome. Like mm. we have so much focus on what we do, helping people in the community. But, you know, they're, they're a really, really special bunch that, you know, for years now have assisted families that have had some pretty tragic circumstances behind the scenes. So, yeah, yeah certainly want to continue, you know, working with them. So, And what advice would you give someone who is struggling with a life-changing event or what advice would you have given your younger self? Oh, that it's, you know, more than okay to be, yeah, scared, vulnerable. Um, you know, I think whether it be through... Yeah, you know, your health, relationships, job. I think everyone in life is going to experience at some point a bit of a game changer. Um, you know, and it's really up to you how you sort of take it on and, um, you know, accept it or change things for the for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess specific to me and to people that I've that I've reached out to. You know, I've I've been really big on. Um, yeah, just accepting that obviously, yeah, you know, cancer diagnosis is is a huge game changer. Um, but yeah, younger years in life, you know, the guys that I've spoken to, like I said, late teens, early twenties, um, you know, take it head on and you know talk about the fact that you're scared shitless. Yeah, you know, because I was, but I, I just tried to put on this facade that 
things were okay. Um, and I think, yeah, over time, you know, the, the stuff that I've done in recent years has sort of been an acknowledgement of that. Yeah. Um, and the conversation starter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's and, so important. Oh, and that's the thing. I mean, it, guys that I've sat with and, yeah, just met at a cafe or a pub and had a, you know, a coffee or a beer. Mm. Um, yeah. Honestly, you can get so much out of a bloody 30-minute chat with someone. Mm. Well, these people are complete strangers. You've maybe spoken to them on you know, Facebook or sent a couple of messages and all of a sudden you're sitting in front of each other. But, you know, same background stores, you know, similar background story, diagnosis. There's just a, yeah, a really nice connection built. Um, and, you know, they can come away from that. Oh, that guy, well, he's doing well. He's working. He's back into his you know, fitness and health regime and there's light at the end of the tunnel. That's yeah. it, that light, you know, that yeah. hope for other people. Yeah. And they see you and think, like, hey, maybe I can do it too. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. the thing I've, and I've, you know, unfortunately with my my mum's side of the family, like she's the youngest of seven. Um, I already touched on it. She obviously had her battles with breast cancer. She's lost three siblings to cancer. So her side of the family's been, you know, it's been quite destructive in that mm-hmm. sense with diagnosis and, um, oh, look, I saw firsthand with one of her sisters where, again, you know, got to the point where she was in palliative care and, um, just mentally had just, just let go. And I just feel like, you know, this is just a, a vessel that's just going to follow suit if you, you know, convince yourself that, well, that's my time is done. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I feel like yeah, you, mentally you can really, you know, sort of condition yourself to keep to keep powering through, you know. Yeah, so. definitely. If you've got that fight mentality, yeah. you're going to get through it and you're going to yeah. get through it. And I think that's why I've sort of chosen these, you know, these these trips that I've that I've done. Like I I kind of thrive on being in a situation where there's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress. I'm out of my comfort zone. Paramedics. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Every, every shift. <laughs> every day at work. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, that's relatable as well. It's just mm. like, it's kind of a... I don't know, thrill of the chase like type thing, but mm. I, um, yeah, I love being, and it probably stemmed from, you know, that message from where I've come from, come from with my health battle. It's yeah, being in a situation, take it head on, and you come out the other side. You know, yeah, so. what an incredible story. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, I think it can be said that in times of complete darkness, where your sense of self and identity is completely challenged, broken, and turned to ashes, that is when true growth occurs, and that's. What, what we see here it allows you to truly see what matters and what doesn't you gain a perspective only known to those who have experienced it it gives you a striking energy and an opportunity to experience a true inner strength that may even surprise you it shows you how you can rise up from the fire with a tenacity and fierceness fierceness that inspires all of those around you and to turn the challenges the pain and the fear into a rehaul of self and a message that is true beauty that is the mark of a very cool human. You're an inspiration, Reese, and it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks so much for coming and chatting about everything. And Thank you. I'm sure that this will be definitely inspirational to anyone who who listens to it. So. Oh, thank you. Happy to be here. It Thanks was for epic. Having me. Thank you.